Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 60, headlined by a bantamweight fight between Corey Sanhagen and Song Yadong. A very, very fun fight in the main event, and a solid middleweight co-headliner between Gregory Rodriguez and Chidi Njikwani. A lot of great fights sprinkled out throughout the card. I can't wait to break them down for you. 14 fights in all, and we got uh, a 4 p.m. Eastern start time as well for the card. So a little bit earlier than we're used to seeing for, you know, fight cards, uh, but I'm always happy about it. Although I likely won't be catching this fight live anyway because I have another wedding to go to. As you guys know, that has been the constant theme of my summer, but... You know, with COVID wrapping up, everybody's going out there and getting married. That's pretty much why I've been busy almost every single goddamn weekend of the summer. But it's nice to be a human being. It's nice to have social uh, time and uh, time to actually hang out with friends and family. So I'm not complaining too much about it, but it is the last UFC event during this uh Three event stretch or three weekend stretch that the UFC is currently on uh, next weekend. No event, but there is a Bellator card for anybody that's interested in that. We also have two more weeks of the Contender Series. Um, so plenty of MMA action to still dig into. I am still, you know, mulling over the idea of doing a Logcast episode of the Bellator card, but I really want to enjoy that week off. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously use it to kind of get a head start on the October 1st card. Um, the Contender Series is obviously going to be keeping me busy still, so I'm still um, mulling over whether I'm going to do Bellator or not. Uh, shout out to everybody that's already in here. We got my guy, Alajwan Dream, Matt R., uh, Tristan Sherhouse, Jared Curry in the chat. Problem kid in the chat as well. Contender View here as well. Uh, saying Song Yadon gonna have to change his name to Sun Yadun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I know there's some Thursday night football to be watched right now, so I appreciate everybody that's hopping in with your boy already. Uh, just to go over this card, but let's uh, let's not waste too much time. Let's do the first and uh, first thing that I always enjoy doing, and that is going over the bets from the previous event and we've had two events obviously since the last one right it's usually that way considering the contender series but uh solid win over the last well i wouldn't say solid win a pretty much solid profit over the last two events just under <laughs> shy of a unit but still cashing some tickets so let's start off with ufc 279 uh minus 1.15 units on tony ferguson in the main event Poor bet for me, horrible bet for me. You know, I'm glad that I relegated it only to about a unit, you know, 1.15 units. But still, you know, I should have known that Nate Diaz, he had the technical boxing advantage over Tony Ferguson. And uh, I wish that I, you know, read into that a little bit more rather than Tony Ferguson just being too much for Nate Diaz to handle. I should have known better than that. So bummer that we missed out on that also uh a whiff on the dog of the night play one unit on Li Jing Liang at plus 142 a lot of people thinking that I should have cashed that ticket but this is the MMA game sometimes we get the bounces sometimes we don't unfortunately I did not get the bounce that weekend uh so we take a one unit loss on Li Jing Liang lock of the night play comes through with Irene Aldana cashing for 2.96 units. Uh, a lot of people thinking that she was going to likely lose that fight, should it have gone longer. But I think she could have stayed, 
you know, liver than people were expecting her to. Uh, you know, she was creating scrambles off of that bottom position, which ultimately allowed her to land that up kick to to get that finish. But I was thinking that, you know, with these scrambles she's able to create, she could get back to her feet and get back to her bread and butter of striking, which is what she, uh, you know, where she should have shined. But credit to Mesa Kiasong for making that fight a lot closer than I expected it to be. But I'm still happy to go out there and cash that that in the Aldana ticket. Minus 0.75 units on Daniel Wolf at plus 330. Not a good bet at all there. Uh, but I was hoping that my hedge on uh, the under two and a half or somewhat of a hedge on the under two and a half would have saved, saved me. But Norma Dumont goes out there and wins the fight via decision. My uh, least optimal outcome based on those two bets but it seemed like if norma dumont wanted to get that fight to the ground she probably could have gotten this fight done a lot quicker uh but she just wanted to take her time showcase that she was a better striker and it played out for her perfectly there so all in all minus 1.75 units on that fight and then lastly we cashed a two unit bet on Haile yalatang uh at minus 175 for plus 1.14 units uh yeah Happy, you know, happy to end in the green, even though it was 0.2 units for a 2% ROI. Green is green. We didn't lose any money that night. So I was happy to hit that, especially the lock of the night play. Let's quickly move on to the contender series that went down this past Tuesday, where we went uh, two and three, or sorry, two and one on bets. We'll start off with the one loss, which was a 1.9 unit shot on Malik Lewis at minus 190 over Trevor Peak. He was beating the piss out of uh, Trevor Peak until he gassed himself trying to get him out of there. And then Trevor Peak took over in that second round and managed to finish him. Luckily, though, I managed to still parlay. The fight doesn't go to decision in that fight, as I was expecting, no matter who won, for it to come via finish. And uh, that cashed one leg of the parlay. The other leg was Bruno Brazil landing a beautiful head kick knockout over Marnik Mann. That cashes uh, the plus 119 parlay for 1.19 units. Happy to cash that. Happy to have somewhat of a hedge on the Malik Lewis side because of that finish. It didn't go down the way that I expected it to, but it still worked out in terms of uh, the fight doesn't go to decision caching. And then lastly, a one-unit play on Daniel Marcos at plus 132. Very happy with how that one turned out. Um, you know, he picked apart Brandon Lewis on the feet, looked like a huge favorite in that spot, and almost got a finish himself considering how much he was battering the leg of Brandon Lewis. But he goes on, wins a solid fight, uh, wins a solid decision, and gets signed to the UFC as well. So, like I said, all in all, over the last two events, the contender series and UFC 279 is plus point at units for like a, what, 4% ROI. But green is green. Uh, that's six straight winning events, hoping to go for seven this weekend. As you guys know, um, whenever I'm on a three-event winning streak or longer, the plays are strictly behind the Patreon paywall other than my dog of the night play. I will be releasing my Dog of the Night play to the public for free tomorrow. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Otherwise, if you guys are in the um if you guys are on the Patreon, you guys already know what my plays are. I'm likely gonna be adding one more small poke on a prop, but all in all, I'll likely only be having those seven bets for my main action for this weekend. So shout out to everybody that's already on the Patreon. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. Ton of great content on there. Not to mention a great Discord community as well. Make sure you guys check it out. That's the best way to support your bite. But if you don't want to shout out the five bucks a month, completely okay with me. The other best thing that you can do, hit that like and subscribe below. That's it. Drop a comment as well. 
That's the least you guys can do for the endless amount of content that I drop for you guys on a daily and weekly basis. Appreciate every single one of you. And hey, I said there's no UFC next weekend, right? But there still is the MMA Log Talk Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. I'll be here for you guys um, and breaking everything down. All right, let's just quickly see who else has creeped into the chat since I did my betting recaps. Uh, Tristan saying Sanhagen line is down to minus 188. I like it as well. Tristan saying, you football is for Americans, LMAO. I love it. Nicholas Lee in the chat saying, what's up, y'all? I'm at Disneyland right now. How's your how's, how's feeling your dong by KO? Well, you'll have to wait until I get to that fight. But if you didn't see the title of the stream, you may not like my answer. Laws <laughs> on Dream saying, who needs foosball? You know what it is. Contender View saying, Lee and Weeks got robbed. Unfortunately, that's the name of the game. Unfortunately. Nick Maranzano saying Denise Gomez can beat uh, Luke Boonmi. We'll talk about that very shortly. Frank Shodane in the chat saying, how the fuck are you, bro? Got the NFL on mute. I prefer to hear fight talk. Let's fucking go. That's my boy right there. That is my boy. All right. Let's get into the breakdowns here. And let me just pull up the card real quick. Uh, I just want to make sure I got the correct um, uh, lineup is one well, order of fight for you guys. Usually, topology is on point with it. So, we'll go with topology. First fight of the night. Remember, 4 p.m. Eastern start time for the prelims. First fight of the night, we got Nicholas Mota going up against Cameron Van Camp. Minus 195 on Mota and plus 165 the return on Cameron Van Camp. Now, these guys were scheduled to fight each other last year, roughly around the same time. Actually, funnily enough, the last time they were scheduled to fight was September 18th. Now they're actually going to be fighting on September 17th. But since they were initially scheduled to fight each other, they both have made their UFC debuts. And both of them have dropped the ball. Nicholas Mota succumbing to the power of Jim Miller in 2022. He ends up getting knocked out in the second round after having a decent enough first round where he heard Jim Miller pretty well. But that veteran experience of Jim Miller comes through. He finds that big knockout blow of, Nick, of Nicholas Moda in the second round. Now, Nicholas, when he's at his best, uses his striking effectively, doesn't really overextend or over uh, throw on too many punches. He just kind of just is nice and seldom and just allows his opponents to come to him and wait for him to open up and land that big knockout blow himself. Uh, but, you know, a little bit of a sketchy chin, a little bit of a, sketchy durability on the Nicholas Mota side, right? All three of his last, uh, or three of his last losses. Um, actually, you know what? Let me just quickly look back to even earlier in his career. Yeah. All of his losses have come via finish three out of four of those coming via knockout. Not a good look, especially when you are a guy that is a striker and depends on a striking defense to go out there and, you know, eat a couple shots to try to give back uh, a couple more and possibly even find the knockout blow himself. Now, technically speaking, he'll be the better striker here compared to Cameron Van Camp as Cameron likes to, you know, hands down, be loosey goosey, throw a lot of big shots, but like, you know, not really use technical, um, uh, discipline of any sort to try to land his strikes. Um, we saw that on full display in his fight against Andre Fialo, which only lasted half a round. He hurt Andre Fialo uh, early in that fight, but given his lack of days go striking defense, he eventually get he got hit himself, and Andre Fialo was able to put his lights out as well. So both guys coming off of knockout losses. Um, obviously, Cameron would like to get this fight to the ground, in my opinion, to you know find most of his success. Um, 
very good jujitsu player, likes to wrap up submissions, uh, arm bars, dart strokes. He has it all up his sleeve. But I think that he might be able to see that uh, possible durability issue of Nicholas Mota here, and he might look to take his head off as well. But I think he would be best suited to try to take this fight to the ground and implement his jujitsu. I think Mota being the slightly strict, uh, slicker striker should have uh, the advantage here in terms of landing the knockout blow and getting to the chin a little bit quicker. But at minus 195, he's a little bit too uh, wide of, of a favorite to trust here. But the spot that I don't mind is the fight doesn't go to decision, which I see anywhere from minus 175 all the way up to minus 225. One of these guys is going to get the finish. Cameron Van Cap is absolutely live to, to be the one that gets the finish, but I'm going to lean with the favorite here and think that uh, Nicholas Mota is the one that capitalizes on the flimsy striking defense of Cameron Van Camp, counters him effectively, and knocks his ass out. So give me Mota by knockout, but I just can't get behind that money line. I'd rather take the chalk on the fight doesn't go to decision. Nick saying uh, Van Camp gets he's hit easily. I don't see him winning. It's true. Frank Jordan saying, I think Van Camp is being severely undervalued here. Again, he is the money line side, I would say. But uh, as, guy, as my guy Contender View says here, I got fight doesn't go to the decision at minus 170 on Mota versus Camp. I love it. That's the best way to play this fight, in my opinion. All right, let's get to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a bantamweight fight between Tony Gravely or Gravely going up against Javid Basharat. Minus 165 is... Uh, the price on the favorite Javier Basharat and plus 140 is the return on Tony Gravely. Now, it's weird seeing Tony as the underdog, right? Given his style, given the way that he fights, he's usually a solid favorite to go out there, utilize his superior grappling and jujitsu, and usually is able to, you know, grind his opponents out, put them through the mat, and make it look easy as well. But there are times where he struggles to keep his opponents on the mat. And that's where his cardio issues start to come into play as well, which is why I just can't really get the confidence to go out there and, and bet him in this spot. Now, Javid still has a lot to prove in his young MMA career, in my opinion. But everything that we've seen from him up until this point leads me to believe that he's going to be a very solid prospect and will achieve his full potential. Very slick striking, utilizes range pretty well. His offensive grappling is very impressive, but even his defensive grappling is one of the best parts of his game, which is why I favor him in this fight. Tony, yes, he'll land takedowns, but I'm not sold that he's going to have tremendous amount of top pressure here. And you can't just lay and prey on your opponents nowadays. You have to go out there and inflict damage. And when they, you know, when Basharat inevitably works his way back to his feet, he will be able to land those bigger and better shots against Tony. And either he'll knock him out, which I, you know, I think is on the table, or he'll just stick with that disciplined game plan where he's landing the damage from the outside, but not overextending enough that Tony can counter by level changing and taking this fight to the ground. Again, Tony will land takedowns. I'm not counting that out at all. It's just his inability to control guys on the ground gives me some pause in trying to back him here as a plus 140 dog. I can see the argument for Tony. He's much more tested. He's very high level as well. And Javid, you know, his level of experience and level of competition hasn't been the highest as of yet, but he's been passing with flying colors ever since. And I think that he'll showcase that here once again against Tony Gravely. Uh, Bashra by decision at plus 300 is very intriguing to me. And even Bashra by third round uh, or Bashra in round three at plus 1000 isn't a bad spot as well, considering how sketchy Tony Gravely's cardio has seemed to be over the last couple fights. Um, 
The only reason I'm not taking the minus 165 shot on Javid myself is this is his toughest test to date. We have to give Tony that respect. And if, you know, if uh, Javid was the underdog here, if he was the plus 140 underdog, I'd be very, uh, you know, <clears throat> I'd be very pressured into uh, actually not even pressured. I would happily take Javid Bashrat on underdog odds considering the striking advantage that I believe he has in this fight. So uh, give me Javid. Javid by decision, but a late finish in his favor is absolutely possible in this spot. Nick saying this fight is super tough to call. Problem kids saying Tony just smoked Muniz Jr. Tony has the way better resume as well. That Exactly. That's why it's tough for me to, you know, uh, like without resistance go out there and bet minus 165 on javid yes he should be the favorite yet yeah, right but like i still need to see him fight this level of competition and come out looking just as good as he has in past fights for me to come for me to confidently bet him as a chalky favorite if he can deal with the grappling of tony gravely i'm on i'm fully on board the javid bashrat train contender view saying i like gravely bashrat fight doesn't go to decision as well because it's plus money my only concern would be, one, if Gravely actually does have top control success and controls Javid, that could be a slow, painful death if the fight doesn't go to decision, or even if Javid is content with just picking him apart from outside but not landing a big enough shot to actually get him out of there, right? The Oren Callan fight. He was beating the shit out of that dude, and it took him until the last minute of that fight to finally get him out of there. Gravely might be a little bit more uh, resilient and might be able to take a little bit more damage that's kind of my concern in terms of taking the fight doesn't go to the decision there, but I do like, um, I do like the uh, Javid Bashrat side here. All right, let's continue on here. Third fight of the night goes down in the women's flyweight division. We're going to be talking about Maria Agapova, who comes in as a plus one fifteen underdog. Seems like money is coming in under now. Minus one thirty five is what we can currently get on Julian Robertson. I'm seeing it all the way up to minus one sixty as well. Plus one thirty at the return on Agapova. Very easy fight to break down, in my opinion. Right, Agapova will likely want to keep this fight standing, utilize her unorthodox striking style to pick apart Jillian Robertson from distance, ultimately opening up a finishing opportunity for herself eventually. Or Jillian Robertson is able to get her to the ground, smother her with her jujitsu. And the reason I love her so much is the fact that she is a submission over position woman. She likes to go out there and finish her opponents. She likes cuddles right i think that's what she calls them uh jujitsu cuddles or something like that she wants or neck cuddles that's what she calls them because she likes strangling her opponents she likes choking them out and i think that's absolutely possible here against maria agapova the 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 hold up i have in terms of playing chalk on the jillian robertson side is i don't like playing a favorite that has an obvious uh actually no i, I don't want to say that but like i don't want to play somebody uh, like Robertson at minus 150, minus 160, who has a clear uh, striking disadvantage, right? We know that Agapova is going to be the better striker here. Because if Robertson can't get this fight to the ground, she's going to get butchered on the feet, in my opinion. But luckily for her, I think her wrestling will be good enough. Her tenacity will be good enough. Her pressure will be good enough to eventually get Agapova to the ground. And then from there, she'll work her way to getting a submission, which I think is absolutely on the table here. So the way that I look to go about it actually was taking the under two and a half. Minus 150 is a great number, in my opinion, for two women that are finish reliant. And although four out of the last five fights on Jillian Robertson record have gone to a decision, I think the way that Agapova and Robertson match up here lets us uh, uh, cash this under two and a half play. So, 
I'm going to lean the Robertson side, but I don't want to count down Agapova at all because when she looks good, she looks damn good, right? She'll look like she did against Sabina Mazzo, just picking her apart and eventually opening up a finishing opportunity for herself later in that fight. She could do that here against Robertson as well. She has that much of a striking advantage, in my opinion. But I don't think she'll be able to stop the takedowns. I don't think she'll be able to stop the inevitable submission that's coming her way from the Jillian Robertson side. So give me Robertson. Robertson by submission. That's plus 150. But my favorite play on this fight is the under 2.5 at minus 150. Nick's saying he likes the over 1.5. Hey, it could go over one and a half, but I still think that somebody is eventually going to get a finish here. I think it'll be Robertson probably round two. All right, next up, Trey Ogden taking on Daniel Zellhuber in the men's lightweight division. Big hype on Zellhuber here as he's coming in at minus 320, steadily taking action throughout the week. Plus 265, the return on Trey Ogden. Now, earlier in the week, we saw Daniel Zellhuber around uh, minus 240. And like I said, steadily taking action, pushing up to minus 320. The kid looks like the real deal, right? He has to go out there and prove it still, but he looks like he has all the skill set to do what he needs to do here against Trey Ogden. Uh, better striker, likely better grappler as well. But Trey Ogden seems to be, you know, a guy that's, you know, the jack of all trades, but just not at the UFC level, in my opinion. He's a decent southpaw, but I don't think that's going to fare well for him here as the lengthier Zell Huber is faster and a little bit more crisp with the strikes. And he'll be able to get that to that target a lot quicker than Trey Ogden will. I love the fact that Daniel Zalhuber has full time moved over there to Las Vegas and been training under the you know watchful eye of Eric Nixick over there at Extreme Couture. And every conversation I've had with Eric Nixick, we've brought up down Daniel Zalhuber uh, before we hit record, and uh, he loves everything about this kid. Uh, I think he's very high on him. He sees the potential in the kid, and I think that this is a great starting. Point four Zell Huber inside the UFC. Not to mention, I think his contender series opponent, Lucas Almeida, was a tougher opponent than what he's going to be facing here against Trey Ogden. So I like the Zell Huber side. I think that he's uh, the better overall fighter. Uh, I just really don't see where Trey Ogden wins this fight. And, you know, if this was lock of the night of seven months ago, I wouldn't have hesitated to put him in a parlay in this spot, but I'm very much looking forward to getting away from the chalky parlays. I, I've gotten way more success just playing a money line straight up, um, underdogs, whatever the hell it is. I'm trying to get away from the minus 300 parlay together spots. Um, and again, seeing my guy Kamar Usman lose the other week the way that he did, Still, <laughs> it haunts me in my dreams, folks. But Zell Huber should win this fight. He should win it inside the distance. You could get a better number on him inside the distance, which is plus 110. I would probably, you know, lean on that more so than his money line here. But if you are looking for a parlay piece, I think uh, I think that Zell Huber is a decent enough spot for you to go out there and uh, parlay him. Oh, Let's see. Brian Wong in the chat. Shout out to my guy here saying, how much is too much chalk for Sanhagen? We'll be getting to that fight a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, we like to go format here, fight by fight. Apologies for that, Brian, but you'll hear about it very shortly. Uh, Contender View saying Zell Huber is a lock, but the line is too far. Contender View, are you me in a different universe or something? Because I feel like we're lining up on pretty much everything here. 
uh, three or four fights into the card. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We're going to be talking about a women's strawweight fight between Loma Lukbunmi and Denise Gomez. In terms of odds, we got minus 205 now on Loma Lukbunmi, plus 175 to return on Denise Gomez. Yes, if Denise Gomez sounds familiar to you, that means you saw her fight on the contender series a little over three or four weeks ago when she was able to secure her UFC contract by defeating Hyen Amanda pretty much beating up on her for the majority of 15 minutes with her superior striking. Now, Denise Gomez, that's kind of her game. She likes to just go out there and outstrike her opponents, try to knock them out. And if she can't knock them out, she's just going to keep punching them in the face until they, you know, the bell rings or something like that. That is her style. She's actually the significant other of UFC fighter Carol Hosa. So, you know, she's getting in that work on a daily basis because when you are fighters as couples, I'm assuming that you guys are pushing each other to train as much as possible. She trains out of the PRVT gym, which is also where uh, Jessica Andrade calls home. Uh, and that's pretty much how she fights, right? She's very aggressive. She likes to throw her big strikes. But that's about it. Loma Lukbunmi, I understand why she's a big favorite here because she has a very decorated Muay Thai background herself and she's really mixing in her full MMA game here by introducing takedowns into her game. Uh, her head coach, George Hickman, is very much uh, responsible for adding that wrinkle to her game and I can't wait to see what kind of product we continue to see out of Loma Lukbunmi as fights uh, as her career starts to progress, yes, her record of five and three looks a little bit sketchy to some people, or sorry, six and three looks a little bit sketchy to some people. But you know, uh, having her uh, third fight against uh, Suwanan Boonsorn, uh, you know, I believe Boonsorn was way more uh, inept at the MMA game at that point in her career, uh, and then fighting Angela Hill in her second ever MMA fight, or sorry, second ever UFC fight. You know, that, that's a tough ask for sure. Uh, then she goes on a two-fight winning streak, and then she runs into Lupita Godinas, who is just a stylistic nightmare for Loma Lupumi. But going back to the Sam Hughes fight, you see the wrinkles in Loma's game, right? You see her landing multiple takedowns. You see her mixing in her striking behind her takedowns as well, right? It's very impressive what we're seeing from there. Sure, she can still use some help in terms of being able to control opponents on the ground a little bit more effectively, but that's going to come. You know, there's no rush. She's 26 years old. She has plenty of time to grow still. And I think with the backing of uh, George Hickman and the guys over there at Bangtown Muay Thai, um, she's going to progress into a very solid fighter. Denise Gomez, to me, is just too one-dimensional at this point in time, right? She she is a kickboxer. Like, she likes to go out there. She likes to throw hands. Um, she had a grappling match, too, uh, back in May, and she beat this girl by crossface. You know, I mean, I don't know what to say about that, but she beat somebody by crossface. So not really showing off her jujitsu skills too much there. But you do see in her fight against Milana Dudieva, she's getting grinded out, right? Dudieva, solid grappler, but she just didn't have the greatest cardio, which is why she gassed out pretty much trying to control Denise Gomez on the mat. Uh, she, uh, Milana obviously ended up getting finished in that third round. But luckily for us, Loma Lukbunmi, much better cardio than what we have to worry about from Milana, and that should be enough for her to go out there to outstrike Denise from the outside, staying active with the leg kicks, and then mixing in takedowns every now and then to keep Denise Gomez on her toes. So give me Loma Lukbunmi. I do not mind the chalk on her at all, but I think she wins this fight by decision. So in case you are not looking uh, to play the chalk on Loma Lukbunmi, taking her by decision is not a bad look either. Problem kids saying, is Ogden's wrestling a problem? I don't think so. Uh, I really don't. 
again, I'm not parlaying the chalk. I'm not playing the chalk for this situation because there are still, you know, question marks about the overall game of Zell Huber. Um, but I don't think it's enough to warrant a shot on the underdog here in Trey Ogden either. Anthony W in the chat saying, do you think the fights being in the apex would be an advantage for contender series fighters? That is a great question, Anthony. Um, I think it could be right. Especially for fighters that are making their debut off of the contender series. Um, like it's familiar to them. They already, you know, they're used to the 30 to 40 fans that are in the stands there in the apex. They're used to that walk. They're used to the, you know, uh, getting ready over there in the performance Institute and coming on over, um, uh, to, to actually fight in the apex. So I think it is an advantage, but I don't think it's like a, a make or break. Like it's not going to make me pick Denise Gomez over Loma Lupermi because Denise just fought at the apex a couple of weeks ago. At the end of the day, the end all be all of capping and predicting fights should be what you see on tape. From what I see on tape, Loma Lupermi is the much better overall MMA fighter at this point in their careers. And she should be able to win this fight without too much issue. Problem kids saying over one and a half. These girls gonna bang. Loma footwork advantage and and speed is gonna be the key here. I like that as well. And I'm thinking that we're gonna uh, be able to get some grappling upside from her as well. Contender view saying great minds think alike, bro. <laughs> I think you're right. He's also saying I made a rule not to lay chalk on low levels of women's MMA. This fight is no exception. Um, I, personally, I, I disagree with that. You know, I mean, if you find an angle somewhere or if you find spots that you just have not been able to capitalize on, by all means, stay away from certain spots. But for me personally, I've been killing women's MMA. I've been doing very, very well, and I feel like I can read it pretty well. And this might be one of those spots where I feel pretty damn good about the Lomalukbumi side. All right, let's keep this going on. Next up. We're going to be talking about the sixth fight, and it is another women's MMA fight. This one taking then taking place in the bantamweight division. We got Aspen Ladd going up against Sarah McMahon. In terms of odds, we got minus one forty for Aspen Ladd, plus one twenty the return on Sarah McMahon. Now, big storyline here is obviously going to be how does Aspen Ladd look on the scales tomorrow morning when she uh, has to weigh in? Right, it hasn't really been the best for her over the last couple of fights. Uh, she did make the 136-pound weight limit against Raquel Pennington. Uh, she did have, I believe she had some weight-cutting issues uh, in August when Sarah McMahon and her were originally scheduled to fight. Uh, the normal Dumont fight, uh, that took place at 145 pounds. Uh, you know, she had that failed weight cut against Macy Cassin, uh two or three weeks before the Norma Dumont fight, and then she gets rewarded with the main event slot against Norma Dumont. Doesn't make any sense to me is what it is now stylistically how do these women match up right sarah mcmahon we know what she's known for olympic civil me silver medalist if i'm not mistaken uh for wrestling you see it on full display especially in her last fight against carol hosa uh, where she was able to ground her for the first 10 minutes of that fight grind on her and uh, although she lost that third round it was still enough for her to put together in those first two rounds to go on to win a decision victory that is every single sarah mcmahon fight right Every single one of them. She wins the first two rounds pretty handily because it's too tough for her opponents to get up from the ground, uh, you know, with having a big woman like Sarah McMahon on top of her. And then she just uses so much energy in those first two rounds that she just cannot fuel herself in those third rounds. So she'll look to 
clinch onto her opponents as much as possible, right? She's given up uh, flopping to her back against Carol Hosa in the last fight, but she was just so strong in terms of being able to hold Carol Hosa close to her that Carol wasn't really able to posture up and get off too many big strikes to try to get Sarah McMahon out of there. Aspen Ladd, like I think it's a little bit of a question mark that Sarah might not be able to control Aspen enough, uh, even from a defensive position, to not get finished. Uh, considering, you know, when Aspen Ladd goes into rampage mode, she's very difficult to deal with. Uh, but it's just so hard to back Aspen Ladd, especially at chalk, considering her lackadaisical approach in her last couple of fights, right? Going back to the, uh, let's start off with the Norma Dumont fight. Uh, she didn't even look like she was fighting, right? She didn't even look like she was in a fight to begin with. She was letting Norma Dumont dictate the pace, dictate the flow of the fight without any resistance at all. It seemed like she was just stuck in neutral and couldn't get anything going. And that was for a full 25 minutes. Then the Raquel Pennington fight. You know, she has this robotic forward-moving style where she's slow and she just throws her shots out there, not with much technique. And Raquel Pennington was seeing everything come her way, and she showcased that being the fluid, uh, better striker uh, was the way to win that fight. And she was able to outstrike Raquel, or sorry, Raquel was able to outstrike Aspen for the first 10 minutes, win those two rounds. Aspen started to turn it on in that third round, but it was still not enough for her to go out there and get that win. That's what I'm scared of about playing the chalk here on Aspen Lad. If she just doesn't kick it into gear in those first two rounds, Sarah McMahon could just grind her out and just keep taking her down and uh, control her on the mat. Um, my only concern is that third round Aspen Lad rampage mode. That might be enough for her to just go out there and finish Sarah McMahon and completely overlook the first two rounds. So I, I still lean the Sarah McMahon side. But it's just too tough for me to just go out there and bet against a girl that has continuously shown to drop off in productivity later in fights. It's just not a winning uh, betting strategy to bet to be betting women like that. Sure, you're getting plus money on her, so all power to anybody that's pulling the trigger on Sarah here. But I just can't do it myself. Eileen, Sarah, you know, maybe taking her money line and then a sprinkle on Aspen Lad round three might be the best way to go about it. But I think that uh, Sarah should do enough in the first two rounds and win this fight via decision. Problem kids saying the overhits pretty much every female fight. Every low level, let me add. Makes... Makes sense. Contender view saying, I'll do time props. I just don't do money lines unless it's minus 200 or better. Completely understand that. Uh, Anthony W saying, I went with the over in the Brazil fight for the contender series and it crashed my parlay. That's every now and then, my friend. That is every now and then. Uh, contender view saying, I don't see anything Lad is good at. McMahon should be able to dominate her, in my opinion. It's just the cardio that is my only concern. <clears throat> All right, next fight up. We got Trevin Jowes making his second walk to the UFC octagon as a welterweight going up against Luis Kosi, who's also making his second walk to the octagon. Uh, in terms of odds, we are looking at minus 210 for Trevin Jowes, plus 180 to return on Luis Kosi. Smelling violence in this spot, boys. I'm smelling violence. Luis Kosi, all six of his wins coming inside the first round. And then we see once he actually gets extended, cardio not the greatest. That's where Sasha Palatnikov was able to take over and eventually finish him in the third round. So it's been nearly two years since we've seen Kosi inside the cage. I'll be interested to see if we see any change in his game uh, with his return after such a lengthy layoff. 
But the one thing that I can almost guarantee is that we probably won't see a better use of his gas tank, right? The guy is a banshee out the gate. I don't think this is anything that any fighter will be able to change. Um, and especially a guy like Kosi who likes to go out there and get his opponents out of there quickly. Trevin Giles, very vulnerable in the early going of this fight. I see no reason as to why you should be betting his money line pre-fight. This is one of those spots where you should see whether he can survive that early onslaught. And if he can, he should have enough you know, gas in the tank to go out there and beat Luis Kosi to the punch using his lightning fast jab, using his uh, aggressiveness and looking to get Kosi out of there later in this fight. The way that I'm looking to approach it though, violence like i said right i'm gonna take the chalk on the fight doesn't go to the decision i saw minus 190 on certain spots i'm seeing minus 215 on certain spots but regardless of the price i think the under hits in this fight or the fight doesn't go to the decision at least hits in the spot the other spot that i actually came across today thankfully you know that's why i love doing the propping you up show with cody was uh or uh lewis Kosi to win in round one is plus 750 all six of his wins have come in round one. Trevin Giles just got knocked out in round one. You know, maybe it is a sign of his diminishing durability. Maybe it's a sign of the uh, wear and tear that he's putting his body through by trying to make 170 pounds, um, you know, on a fight basis. Um, it might be easier for him this time around. Like we've kind of saw Jose Aldo get easier and easier with his weight cuts down to 135 pounds. Maybe the second time is easier for Trevin Giles, but we know for a fact that Luis Kosi is going to go out there and try to knock his head into the seventh row um, in the first round of this fight. There are certain guys, if you ever get plus money on them, you should just take, or sorry, plus money on them to win in round one. And all they ever do is win in round one. You got to take the shot, right? Otman Azaitar. I remember getting plus 250 on him to win in round one against Kama Worthy. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Sometimes you can get plus 400 on his round one spots. Terrence McKinney. Now the, the secret's out, right? Minus 200 is normally what you get on his first round prop. But that's how these guys fight. That's how they win. So rather than taking plus 180 on Luis Kosi, just take him by his best path to victory, which is round one. Round one, plus 750. Uh, that's the one spot that I haven't bet yet that I'll likely be taking a sprinkle on. But I think the best bet, you know, all in all, is possibly the fight doesn't go to decision because uh, I think we see a finish either way. I'm going to lean Giles surviving that early onslaught and finishing Kosi later. But Kosi uh, round one is absolutely live in this fight. Asher Quinn in the chat. Appreciate the love, my friend. Content review saying, I like Giles here. I thought he looked great against Duplessis until he didn't. That's the issue, right? It's his durability, and Kosi has that power to get him out of there early as well. Content of you saying, yeah, I took fight, doesn't go to the decision as well. <laughs> Look at us, man. All the same plays. Uh, Frank Jordan saying, probably need this fight for DK. Kosi early, Giles round two. Yes. From a DK perspective, yes, I think one of these fighters will be on that optimal lineup. Anthony W. saying, if you bet on this, I think Kosi is worth the shot. We only have one fight in the UFC to justify picking against Kosi. More evidence to pick against Giles for the sake of plus money on Kosi. Again, I would rather take um, Kosi round one. That is the epitome of his win condition, in my opinion. Ashkwin saying, Hamza Chmaev plus 200 round one last week as well. Bang, there you go. Bob Spikerman in the chat saying, thanks, champ. Appreciate it, bro. Appreciate your love as always. And again, if you haven't already, folks, make sure you guys hit that like below, please. Problem Kids saying, Kosi should win. Giles, fight IQ is dog shit. That is true. 
Jake Nowacker in the chat saying Pennsylvania parlay. Pfeiffer, Algio, Sabatini, I think we're on plus 230. I am picking against two of those guys, unfortunately, and you'll have to stick around to see who those guys are. All right, let's move on to the next fight, and I believe it is the prelim headliner. Yes, it is. Prelim headliner, one of the fights that I am... I actually, you know what? I think this is the fight that I'm most excited about on this card. Uh, second, the main event probably takes the first. Um, but yeah, second most excited for this fight. Prelim headliner, Grappler's Delight. We got 21-4-1 Damon Jackson going up against 17-3 and Pat Sabatini. In terms of odds, we got Sabatini coming in as a minus 180 favorite, plus 155 to return on Damon Jackson. Now, all week, you know, even last week, all I was hearing, Pat Sabatini, Pat Sabatini, parlay Pat Sabatini, play Pat Sabatini. I'm running the tape, and I'm like, okay, looks good, but this is the best grappler he's going up against since being in the UFC. Without a doubt, right? This ain't Jamal Emmer's playing footsies with Pat Sabatini and getting his foot taken on home with him. This isn't TJ Laramie, who's a great wrestler, but you know we show we saw that his jiu-jitsu was good enough to hang with Pat Sabatini. Oh, and if I remember, everybody and their mother was on Pat Sabatini inside the distance that night, not giving my guy Laramie any respect. But we see, you know, Tucker Lutz even having some decent success defending, reversing, getting back to their feet. Now, David Jackson is the best guy that Sabatini is going to have fought to this point, right? High-level jiu-jitsu, high-level grappling, all offense, all the time, chasing necks, trying to get his opponents out of there. That makes Damon Jackson live in this spot. Pat Sabatini might be the better wrestler here, but once this fight actually hits the ground, you know, it, it's, it becomes a 50-50 fight. It really is a 50-50 fight. You know, I see a lot of people giving Damon Jackson some flack for that last fight that he had against Dan Argueta, but I think that Dan is much better than people are making him out to be, right? Took the fight on short notice and up a weight class, but that guy is a tremendous wrestler. Very difficult to, to control and have success against him as well. But Damon Jackson still went out there and did the goddamn thing. Now he's going up against Pat Sabatini, who, again, huge hype train right now. Everybody loves him. Everybody's saying, you know, he, he's the one of the next contenders and all that stuff, but let's slow our rolls a little bit, right? Let's slow our roll. He has a couple good wins, but it's not like he's looking like this man, this beast that everybody's making him out to be. He should, he should win this fight, right? There is a reason he's the favorite, and I agree that he should be the favorite, but maybe not so much to the point that he's minus 180. Damon Jackson has way better of a chance than that. This fight, in my opinion, should be closer to a pick -em. That's why I'm going to go with the underdog here. Damon Jackson is way too live in this spot. He has a tremendous amount of experience against high-level competition, and I think that we'll see a showcase here against Pat Sabatini when he can get the reversals, where he can latch onto the Kimura and use it as a reversal. You Use it to get back to his feet. So give me Damon Jackson. Damon Jackson via decision. That's it. Uh, problem kids saying Damon Jackson for the dub. I sure hope so. Jake Nowaker saying, I don't know, man. Priya, I think Daniel Gracie's staying undefeated here. Maybe, excuse me, maybe. I think there's only been one time where I've faded uh Daniel Gracie, and it was Court McGee over uh Jeremiah Wells. We all know how that went. Hopefully, this one goes a little bit better than that. 
Problem Kid saying Damon striking advantage reach, probably a better offensive wrestle, maybe better defensively. And Jiu Jitsu wise, it's a toss up edge, the lanky guy, usually. Uh, I would say, you know, I could be off on this, right? We'll find out obviously this weekend, but Pat Sabatini might be the better wrestler. I don't, I, I think he's the better wrestler. But again, once this fight does hit the mat, that's where it's a toss up. And striking advantage, you know, maybe Damon ever so slightly, but I don't think it's anything that's going to be the reason as to why he wins this fight. Jake saying, no doubt Jackson is super tough for Pat, the hardest of his career so far, but Pat going to Pat, man, I'm telling you. We'll see, my friend. We shall see. Good luck to you, my brother. Frank saying, Jackson has better striking, in my opinion. Again, we don't really see too much of the striking from Sabatini because he just loves to grapple and wrestle. Asher Quinn saying, do you think it could be one of those grappler versus grappler bouts where it stays on the feet the whole time? If so, who has the striking advantage? Again, I would um, I would slightly lean the uh, the Damon Jackson side, but again, it's not by a whole lot. You know, this isn't going to look like uh, fucking Izzy against Marvin Vittori or anything like that in the striking. Um, but I think this is going to be one of those grappler versus grappler matchups where it ends up in the grappling because both guys, most of their success usually comes in the grappling. And I think the each guy is going to want to um, uh, showcase that they're the better grappler here. They want to, you know, showcase their balls and be like, hey, I'm the better grappler. I'm the man around here. We'll see, though. Jake asking, Pat has been training his boxing very hard at John Marquez in Philadelphia. I would lean Pat, but Damon has experience like Manfred is saying. Yes. Close fight. Contender view saying it's going to the ground. I agree with you as well. Jake saying, sorry, a lot of PA fighters that got lots to say tonight. Hey, it's all good. You know I love I love when, you, when you're in the chat, my friend. Robot Chicken Wing saying, Locke is making a lot of sense. Love the breakdowns. Appreciate the love as always, my friend. Michael Cacoilo. Apologies for butchering your name there, my friend, saying Sabatini wrestles and grapples with Sean Brady. He's not losing this fight. Decision wins. Now, I get it. I completely get it. You know what I mean? Um, Maurice Green used to train with John Jones. You know what I mean? Artem Lobov used to train with Conor McGregor. Chris Avila used to train with Nate and Nick Diaz. Marcos Mariano trained with Anderson Silva. Am I making any sense here? <laughs> I'm not trying to shit on Pat Sabatini, right? He's a great fighter. He is. But when we break down these fights, um, we got to look at the each stylistic matchup. Damon Jackson is going to be a tough matchup for him. I think, you know, Sabatini can win, but I just don't know if he looks minus 180 doing so. I think this fight is much closer, and for that, I got to go with the underdog here in Jackson, who's going to make this very, very tough for Sabatini to get his hand raised. Uh, contender view saying he's Sean Brady's true toy, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I don't want to diss Sabatini like that. Sabatini is a solid dude, man. Alex Pick is saying my guy locked the night, been busy as hell with work. But my question to you: Has Sanhagen beaten anyone better than Songs with us? When Cheeto, uh, I will be getting to the main event in you know 20 30 minutes or so i'll answer that for you then if you're still in here make sure you uh ask that question again and i'll get around to it appreciate the love as always problem kids saying damon wrestles with good guys too that is correct michael saying soilo soilo oh so the 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 middle c is a s sound soilo got it i try to pride myself on uh, pronouncing names correctly, like from fighters to even people that watch my shows. So thank you for breaking it down for me. I'll try to remember it if I see your name in here again. 
Appreciate it, Michael. Anthony W. saying Marie Screen also smoking the cigs on tough. Yes. Uh, all right. Let's get to... Well, I, actually, that's the... That caps off the prelims here. So shout out to everybody that's in here not watching the football or got the football on mute, watching your boy break down the fights. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow as well for the Ultimate Wayne Show. Going to be having a newbie guest. Uh, might as well share it with you guys now. It's my guy Sharksta DFS on Twitter. I'm not sure how many podcasts he's done, but he's a very sharp dude. Me and him see things, you know, not always the same, but uh, I respect his uh, the way that he breaks down fights and how he sees them. I'm very much looking forward to breaking down the fights with him. So uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, Ultimate Weigh-In Show. Uh, we'll talk about everything that happened at the wins and then break down the fights for you guys one more time. Also, um, uh, I will be releasing my dog of the night play for free tomorrow. So keep your guys eye, keep your eyes peeled on my social medias. Otherwise, if you want access to the rest of my official picks, again, six five winning streak right now. I only go, you know, keep my picks behind the Patreon paywall if I'm on a three event winning streak or longer. Going for number seven, uh, that's where you'll be able to find it. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. No long term commitments. You sign up tomorrow. Or today, if I lose this event, you can cancel right away. You still get access to the Patreon until the end of the month, but uh, no long-term commitments or anything like that. So make sure you guys check it out. Link in the description below. Otherwise, the best way to show support, hit that like, hit that subscribe, drop a comment. That's all I ask. All right, let us get to the main card here. And it starts off with my third most anticipated fight of the night. I always love it when my guy Anthony Fluffy Hernandez takes center stage he is coming in as a minus 205 favorite taking some solid action over the last 24 hours because i saw him at minus 175 yesterday now he's at minus 205 plus 175 the return on mark andre badio fellow canadian of mine it's always tough when a canadian is going up against one of my favorite fighters period and anthony hernandez is definitely one of those guys now anthony hernandez you know, long-time viewers and listeners of the show, remember, um, uh, remember the uh, little tiff that I got in with my guy Elliot Marshall uh, when we broke down Anthony Hernandez against Josh Friend, where I compared Anthony Hernandez to a you know poor man's version of Cain Velasquez, and he lost his shit. He goes, "How dare you compare Anthony Hernandez to Cain Velasquez?" And I said, "Hey, wait, I'm." Com- like Anthony Hernandez goes in there and tries to emulate Cain Velasquez. And that's not a bad way or a bad fighter to try to emulate. You're talking about a guy, heavy pressure, heavy wrestling, great cardio, breaks his opponents. You know, it sounds like Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, right? That's how those guys fight. Takedowns, pressure, pace, don't let up. And as long as you have the cardio to back it up, you should be good to go. The only question mark that I've had on Anthony Hernandez and the reason why I haven't gone lock of the night deep on him in this card is I need him to go out there and prove that his durability issues have been taken care of. And again, it's not like something that they can just go into the gym and, okay, keep punching me in the chin and that's going to toughen up my chin or keep punching me in the belly and that's going to you know um, uh, help my durability in terms of being able to ta- take shots to the, to the body. But like, I need to see him consistently go out there and prove that he can take big shots. Now, Barrio is not known to be a big finisher, right? Obviously, he choked out Jordan Wright last time around, but he doesn't really have many knockout victories on his on his record. But that still doesn't mean that he can find the chin of Anthony Hernandez and get him out of there. That's my concern. But that's where it stops. Because everywhere else, Anthony Hernandez beats him. 
Antonio Hernandez will drown him with that wrestling. He will drown him with that pace. And I think that even the big shots that are coming uh, coming back from the Barrio side will be countered with level changes and takedowns. I love uh, Anthony Hernandez in this spot. As long as he doesn't get put out, as long as he is conscious for the majority of this fight, he will win it. I have no doubts about it. Barrio likes to pressure and break his opponents as well, but he likes to use heavy strikes, you know, intimidating power moving forward. That's how he goes about it. Whereas um, uh, Anthony Hernandez takedowns, right? That looks way better to judges rather than just moving forward and throwing big shots. Because unless you hurt your opponent and you drop them, there's no real reason to believe that that pace or pressure is going to be uh, able to overcome the wrestling and the pressure of Anthony Hernandez. So give me Anthony Hernandez here. Anthony Hernandez by decision currently sits at plus 200. I think that's a damn good spot too. But I think at minus 200, this might be one of those spots where he looks minus 500 by having as much uh, wrestling success as I expect him to have here. So um, give me Fluffy. Fluffy all day, baby. Sorry to my Canadians. Oh, Michael, uh, hold up, let me try this again. Casello, Casoilo. I'm trying, bro. I'm trying. Michael, we'll go with Michael. Uh, Michael say Mark Andre is a nice dog play. I apologize for completely shooting all the holes in the way just now. But uh, hey, as a Canadian, I'd love to see Mark Andre win. As a gambler, I would love to see Anthony Hernandez win. Tristan saying the Canada fate has been real these past few weeks. They have. They have. But hey, I am picking Jillian Robertson to win earlier in the night. Michael saying Jordan betters. Yes. Hey, I, I cashed on Nathaniel Wood there. Got to look past that, uh, you know, Canadian bias and cast some winners. Contender view saying Lainess. Yeah, Lainess got the dub. I was close to betting Darian Weeks. Thank God I didn't get to the window. But uh, yeah. Frank Jordan saying, all due respect to Elliot Marshall, but you were 100% right about Fluffy being a discount Kane Velasquez. Fluffy got skills. Yes. I remember I talked to him after that as well, too, and he goes, okay, you're you know, you're making a little bit more of a point, but let's see him go out there and try to do it at the highest of levels. I'm like, all right, but hey, my main point was he fights like him. He is not him. He fights like him. <laughs> That's it. Problem Kid saying Fluffy is a legit grappler. Anthony W saying, I like your reasoning. I have to quit being surprised when Hernandez looks good in his matchups. Um, yeah. Again, it's just his durability. Like, that is the only reason I am not emptying the bank account on him right now. I have my hesitation that he might still be vulnerable to, to getting hit with big shots and being put out. But if he can keep it together, he's going to look like a mauler. Jake Noecker saying we beat with the head, not the heart, often against the heart for some insurance. Exactly. Problem Kid saying if Jordan Wright takes you down, Fluffy is going to maul you. Yes. Michael saying I had wood too. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Michael, it's, I, I can't recall seeing your name in my uh, my live chats in the past, but it is great to have you in here as well. My guy Cope's Corner in the chat as well coming through. Appreciate the love, my friend. All right. Let's get to the next fight. We're going to be talking about another Canadian, but this time up in the heavyweight division. We got 28-1. and one. Tanner Bozer going up against 8-1. and one. Rodrigo Nascimento. In terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 170 on the Tanner Bozer side, plus 145 on Rodrigo Nascimento. 
Now, fun fight uh, between a pretty much a striker versus grappler. Uh, you know, we don't see too much of Rodrigo Nascimento in the cage, which is, to me, a kind of a shame, right? I think he brings a fun style. He's 29 years old, so he still has a couple, like several years, especially a heavyweight, to go out and showcase, you know, that he can be a high-level guy. And considering that he's training at American Top Team, we know he's getting high-level training as well. Now, the last time we saw him inside the cage was July of 2021, but I believe that fight was changed to a no contest because he popped for some sort of steroid. But I still think the guy has the ch uh, chops to go out there and be a legitimate heavyweight. You know what I mean? Maybe not a championship heavyweight by any means, but if he can utilize his heavy striking style mixed with his, uh, you know, uh, pressure style of jujitsu and being able to take guys to the mat, he's going to be a tough out for a lot of guys. Tanner Bowser included, right? Tanner is obviously the better technical striker here, right? He moves very well, uses his leg kicks very well. He has some decent power, especially, you know, over his last couple of fights, showcasing that he has knockout power because before, you know, his last three wins, I should say, sorry, uh, you know, knocking out Ovin St. Pru, Rafael Pessoa, and Philippe Lins, the guy was a decision machine, right? He had a leg kick TKO win in the fourth round of his fight right before coming to the UFC. Before that, he beat a guy named David Cryer in October of 2017 by knockout. But just scanning his 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 record, the majority of his wins usually come by decision. He is okay with being a you know tepid paced volume striker uh, who likes to attack the leg and just let the rest of his um, success come after that. But I think that Nascimento will be too big for him here in terms of grabbing him, pushing him up against the cage, dragging him to the ground, and utilizing his superior grappling, which is why I like the underdog spot here on Rodrigo Nascimento. Uh, you know, I, I know Chris Dawkins did knock out Nascimento, but I think it's going to be hard for Tanner Bozer to replicate that pinpoint position and speed that Chris Dawkins has showcased, which has made him, you know, successful in that heavyweight division. That's why I think Chris Dawkins won that fight. It's going to happen, right? Alan Baudot, I'm hearing the, the arguments as to him, you know, winning that first run against Nascimento, but a lot of that success came from Nascimento uh, hurting, or sorry, a lot of that success from Baudot came from Baudot hurting Nascimento as Nascimento was trying to get a takedown. Um, Tanner could obviously do the same thing here, but, you know, going back and seeing that Alir Latifi fight and seeing the fights that Tanner Boser can get grounded in and almost struggles to get back to his feet leads you to believe that Nascimento should have tremendous uh, success if he's able to drag this fight to the ground. You know, my conspiracy hat uh, theory of the week or prop of the week is Nascimento by decision at plus 700, but if he can continuously get Boser to the ground and control him, that is absolutely live in this spot. I'm not counting out the fact that Nascimento could get a finish from on top as well, but I think it would serve him best to just moderate and control his cardio as best as possible and just grind Tanner over 15 minutes and uh, win this fight via decision. So I think that Nascimento is very live in this spot. And uh, if he can stay conscious as well, you know, Tanner Bozer really falling in love with his knockout power as of late, and it could come to fruition for him here as well. But I think that Nascimento can get a hold of him, drag him to the ground. And from there, I think he's going to be too heavy and too difficult to get up from under. So give me Nascimento, Nascimento by decision, but I love it. Uh, let's see, Ben Davis in the chat. Love my guy. I always love seeing him in the chat as well. Let's fucking go. Uh, Michael saying, been here many times before. I love your work and delivery. Keep on keeping on, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I guess you just haven't been active in the live chat. The name just doesn't sound familiar. Apologies. Uh, 
Jake Norker saying, bend the bean in the building. You know what it is. Frank Jordan saying, Nascimento by sub is tempting. It is. It is. I'm just hoping his money line comes through. Alex Lee Yu with the $5 donation. Shout out to my gal over there. Just sending a little love. Keep up the great work, Locke. Thank you. And it's great to see your name in the live chat. And hey, I am still waiting to get you on the podcast because you are very deserving of it. And I hope that we can eventually line something up when you're not working with your pets and all that shit that you got going on in med school and all that shit. <laughs> One day, you're going to get your ass on this Ultimate Way and Show as well. Appreciate the love. Sparring with reality. Shout out to my guy, Luke, coming into the chat saying, think him going 0 for 4 on takedowns against Baudot is pretty concerning. That is a good point for sure. But uh, I I'm still... You know, I, I believe Tanner Boser, I think, has a 70% takedown defense rate, but not a lot of guys are really looking to take him down outside of Ilya Latifi, who landed the two takedowns. Ovin St. Pru went one of five on takedowns, but a lot of those takedown attempts came from him being rocked. So uh, I'm going to discount a couple of them. But, you know, the the Andre Alovsky, no takedowns there. Rafael Peso went all of one on takedowns, but we've come to know that he's just not that great of a fighter to begin with. Um, and then obviously we saw... Uh, Actually, Cyril Gunn went over one on takedowns as well. But I'm thinking Nascimento being the much bigger guy, Tanner Boser, we know he's kind of that cruiserweight heavyweight around that 220 to 240 mark at times. Nascimento is going to be coming in big, and hopefully it's enough for him to start grounding this fight. And again, you don't need to use too much to convince me to be taking an underdog shot, especially up at heavyweight here. Thomas Kane saying big week for third round finish uh, finish props. Big odds, let's piece, put pieces together. Got to reverse engineer these fights. Big week for the prop players. Always looking for Sean V, aren't you, Thomas? It doesn't seem like Sean V really wants to come into my chats nowadays. <laughs> uh, probably kids saying you don't think Bose's, uh, sorry, Bose's footwork is too good for him to catch him. I think at a certain point, small cage as well. I think eventually he'll be able to crowd him up against the cage, get him to the ground. Problem kids saying Bozer hits a lot of angles in and out. Uh, hard to take a guy down that's always moving. That is true. I'm hoping that he can crawl him eventually. Alex saying I should be getting more free time soon. Let's do it. Let's fucking go. I'd love to say. Like, I want to say the term, like, let's pop your podcast straight, but I feel like that's a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Let's get you on here as soon as you can. All right, SK saying thoughts on this parlay of Van Camp, Sabatini, Algeo. Uh, literally picking against every single one of those guys. So, uh, yeah. Cops Corner saying, you ever need anyone to jump on lock? Let me know. Be down anytime. You are definitely on the uh, on the uh, the the queue and the list as well. Hafkin saying, I don't want to be bet on this fight. Nascimento might be the slowest heavyweight on the roster. Mad made uh, Baudot look like a super athlete. Yeah, true. I love that your uh, your profile picture is tied to Ivasa knocking out Craig Hardy. That's awesome. Jimmy Madaloni saying, I think Van Camp gets knocked out since too much of a weight cut. No water around brain equals KO. That is a good point. First time he's going down to 155 as well. Robot Chicken Wings thinks uh, Bozer via flying Masvidal knee KO. We shall see. I'm going with the underdog, Rodrigo Nascimento. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a couple fights left to go. Next of which goes down in the men's middleweight division. We got B. Joe Pfeiffer. Contender series. The face of the contender series this season, it seems. Mr. Joe Pfeiffer coming in against Alan Abadovsky. Big, big odds here on Joe Pfeiffer. He's coming in at minus 460. Plus 370 is the return for Alan Abadovsky. Now, 
Amadovsky's got to be one of the worst fighters that we've ever seen in the UFC in terms of horrible fight IQ. And the reason I say that is the uh, the fight that he had against John Phillips, giving John Phillips the only win in John Phillips' UFC career by willingly standing in the middle of the cage and throwing bombs with one of the biggest hitters that MMA has ever seen. And what happens? Alan Amadovsky gets knocked out in 14 seconds. Not a good look at all. He gets grinded out and wrestle-fucked by a guy like Christoph Jotko, another red flag. And then, to top it off, goes out there and gets no hooks in choked out by Joseph Holmes. Not a good look at all. Now he's going up against Joe Pfeiffer, a Henzo, uh, Daniel Gracie guy, I should say. Sorry, out of there from Philadelphia. And earlier in his uh, fighting career, you see him grind, uh, grounding fights, uh, you know, looking to submit his opponents or ground and pound them to uh, into submission or even get in TKO finishes that way. But in recent fights, you see him a little bit more confident in his striking and he's been able to starch dudes doing so. For his sake... I think the best thing that he could do is look to take this to the ground immediately because if Joseph Holmes is getting a no-hooks-in rear-naked choke against Alan Amadovsky, I think Joe Pfeiffer can twist him up into a pretzel and submit him that way as well. But as my guy, the Hafkin, showed me earlier today is apparently Joe Pfeiffer is looking to go out there and knock this guy out. He's not looking to submit him. He is looking to put his lights out cold. I think that would be a bad uh, idea for Joe Pfeiffer to go out there and try to make Amadovsky even have a bit of a chance in this fight. We know the only chance Amadovsky has winning here is to catch Joe Pfeiffer slacking on a counter and landing a big shot of his own and knocking him out. Speaking of which, Amadovsky by KO currently sits at plus 600. I don't think it comes through. I think Pfeiffer is just too big, too agile, too fast for him. We'll be able to get to the... Uh, the target a lot quicker i'm hoping for his sake he looks to get this to the ground and just tries to demolish amadovsky on the ground and before i heard that he was just looking to knock him out i actually took a little bit of a sprinkle on pfeiffer via submission at plus 550 which is still available on FanDuel. but goddamn, i'm gonna kick myself if he doesn't actually go out there and look for the submission but regardless i think pfeiffer gets him down early or just knocks him out early there's a reason the under one and a half is currently hanging around minus 200 i think that ends up hitting uh no official play on this fight for me outside of that pfeiffer by submission but i'm already starting to rip up my ticket considering how he's been talking about his approach for this fight so give me joe pfeiffer oh Jake saying Joe Pfeiffer eats more cheesesteaks than Amatoski. <laughs> uh, I need to go down to Philly. It's been way too long since I've been down there. Problem Kid saying Pfeiffer is super skilled. Wrestling is top notch. Jiu-Jitsu is great and his striking has come along fast. He's mean on the feet. Yes, he is. Herman Menu, New Jersey. In the chat, appreciate the love. Uh, I see my guy Jake Noecker has already answered the question, but yes, I'm picking Fluffy over Andre Barrio. Nick in the chat saying, what's up, Locke? Johnny Walker, baby, had eight units on him. Thank you for telling me that he's live. Let's fucking go. Good job, my friend. I didn't cash on it myself, though I didn't bet Iwan Kutilaba either because I knew better than that. Um, but good shit, my friend. Hafkin saying, Amadowski chin made of paper mache, Pfeiffer via whatever he wants, but unfortunately looking likely it's a KO. Yes, sir. Frank Jordan saying, Pfeiffer, 9,700 on DK. He pretty much needs 120 plus points to make the optimal. It's possible. Might even get that 60-second bonus as well. Anthony W. saying, I hedged with Amadovsky on round one KO with the payout mate matching my wager on Pfeiffer. Not a bad way. That is, if you were to hedge at all, that's the way to do it. Jake saying, cheesesteaks on me when you're here. A comfy guest bed for you too. I appreciate it, my friend. I, I want to come down to Philly. I've, I went down there for UFC 133. Phil Davis against Tito Ortiz. No, sorry. 
Rashad Evans against Tito Ortiz, Vitor Belfort versus Yoshihiro Akiyama. Uh, I think Dennis Hallman fought uh, Brian Ebersol that night. I think that was the the when he wore the speedo to the cage. Uh, but yeah, uh, I got hooked up with tickets, which is why I made the trip down there way back in the day. When was UFC 133? That was like 2012, right? Yeah, August of 2012. Holy shit, time f- has fla- flown by 11 years ago. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, Mike Brown, head coach of American Top Team, actually fought on that card as well, beating Nam Fan that night. Alexander Gufteson headlining the prelims, defeating Matt Hamill via TKO. Chad Bendis defeating Hani Yaya that night. Roy McDonald defeating Mike Pyle. But yeah, I, I remember the, the 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 most notable thing of the night for me that night was the back-to-back walkouts of Vitor Belfort and Yoshihiro Akiyama. Absolute fire knockouts or fire uh, uh, walkouts, I should say. All right, let's get back on, back on track here. Next fight up, toughest fight on the card to call, in my opinion. We got Andre Feely going up against Bill Algeo. In terms of odds, we got minus 125 on Andre Feely and plus 105 the return on Bill Algeo. Uh, yeah, like I said, toughest fight for me to call on the entire card because both guys have a very like flimsy, flaky style, right? Bill Algeo with his striking likes to be flashy, likes to throw flying shit, likes to uh, throw spinning shit. That's the, you know, that's the majority of his striking style. Um, very good BJJ, especially defensively, because we've seen him in some very bad positions. Nobody's been able to submit him so far in the UFC. Um, and you see why, right? The guy knows what he's doing. He knows the technical things that he needs to be doing to not get choked out, not go to sleep, and just stay patient enough to get out of these bad positions. Um, but that's where it stops, man. Like, Sure, he can go out there and outstrike a guy like Joe Anderson Brito, stay away from the big power and and beat up those guys. But when he's fighting guys with a little bit more skills to the game, similar to what Andre Feely brings to the game, that's where I think he's going to struggle, right? It's going to be the takedowns. It comes to the takedowns, in my opinion. And I think we'll see Andre Feely, a guy with his back against the wall, essentially, right? He's 0-2 and 1-0 contest in his last three fights, but that's still grounds for potentially getting cut if he goes out there and loses this fight. I'm expecting a full MMA game from him, from mixing his striking with his takedowns. And even though he might not be able to control Algio on the ground long enough, it should be enough for him to mix in the striking behind that to look good enough for the judges for him to get his hand raised in that spot. Uh, similar to what Hikaru Hamosh was able to do to Algio as well. So I'm expecting a full veteran-type performance from uh, Andre Feely to win this fight. I still think it's a 50-50 fight, though. Very close fight. Um, Could go either way. Um, You know, slight underdog money on Bill Algio. Not as tempting to me as it would be, you know, if this fight was truly a 50-50 fight because I still think that Feely has more tools to win this. So I guess maybe you can say 52-48 percentage fight uh, on the, uh, you know, favoring uh, Andre Feely ever so slightly, but I think Feely will showcase a much better overall game, and I think he wins this fight without too much issue. So, um, actually, sorry, it will be a close fight. There will be some issues, but I think he'll put together a much better body of work to get that judge's nod. So, give me Feely, Feely by decision. Michael is liking the touchy Feely side as well. Jake Noecker, biased as always, saying I train with some of those Algeo boys, been to that gym. That dude is a damn animal, and he can fucking grind. That is true. But good God, that takedown defense leaves a lot to be desired, to be honest. Um, yeah, King, I think he's from, what's it called? King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. I think that's where, the, where his gym is located. 
Michael's saying, I like Algeo as well, but I just think Philly is going to clip him. Uh, you think he finishes him? Interesting. Uh, Corey Yupo saying, Federal Way Feely going to take this Bill Algeo so cocky in his speeches. Interesting. By the way, uh, <laughs> it is hilarious. I remember I, so I had Ricardo, Lam uh, Ricardo Lamas, that Lamas. Yeah, Lamas. I, I haven't said that name in forever, that, which is why it just sounds so weird to me. But Ricardo Lamas, uh, I had him as my lock, and then I play against Bill Algio and Algio's UFC debut. And um, I remember doing my research on Algio, and I looked at his Instagram page. And even before he had his first UFC fight, in his bio, he had UFC contender. I'm like, hey, 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 let's slow down a little bit, buddy. Like, you haven't even fought in the UFC yet. And you're about to go up against a very tested and tough veteran, and you're already calling yourself a, uh, a contender? Nah, dog. Since then, it's kind of rubbed me the wrong way ever since I've been seeing that. But solid fighter. He's gained my respect with a couple of the wins that he's gotten inside the UFC. But uh, I still think that he's going to struggle here against Feely. Just not so much to the point that I'm willing to pull the trigger on Feely myself. Uh, Thomas Kane saying, fuck it. Give draw a shot here. Go light. Of course, I can really see it. Well, it's going to have to come down to somebody getting a 10-8 round or a point taken away. Uh, Jake saying, also, Brito KO'd Feely. That is true. Aljo beat Brito, so that means Aljo wins, right? MMA math, always. MMA math, always. Tristan saying, that's crazy how you remember that about Bill's IG. Last my, left my ass off them random tidbits. What's well, those things that stick out in your head, right? Like... I'm not going to remember everybody's IG bio, but I just remember his because it kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way. It made me laugh. I'm like, hey, slow down. I think I even made a tweet about it as well. That's why it sticks out to me because I acknowledged it. All right. Uh, next fight is the co-main event of the evening. It is a fun middleweight scrap here. We got Chidi, Chidi, Bang, Bang, and Jaquani. Minus 125 on him going up against the Brazilian Hobocop. Gregory Rodriguez was coming in at plus 105. Very fun matchup here. I did my Action Network write-up on this fight, and I'm hoping that I can push my Action Network record to 6-0 on fighters and then 5-6 and six on specific picks. And uh, this one, you know, initially seemed tough to me pre-tape, but as I started running the tape, um, it started to become a little bit more and more clear to me. Now, I thought I was going to be on the Gregory Rodriguez side, considering that he should have a uh, decided grappling advantage over Chidi and Jakawani. But little do people know, Chidi actually has a black belt in jiu-jitsu himself. Not saying he's going to go out there and tie Gregory Rodriguez up into a pretzel by any means, but I think it should help him defensively uh, should he find himself in any bad positions. That brings me to my next point about Gregory Rodriguez. In terms of this guy's lauded as like a, a great BGJ player, like high-level black belt, but like when he gets fights into those positions... He's had a quit at best. You know what I mean? Like he's he's not really getting these finishes on the ground. He's finding it hard to get to these dominant positions to get the finishes when he gets his opponents to the ground. And most of the time, his opponents are able to get out of those bad positions, getting back to their feet, and then making it tough for Gregory to get it back into those positions, right? Chitty, 
I wasn't that high on him, especially going into his fight against Marc-Andre Barrio. I had some money on Barrio that night, and obviously we know what happens. He gets charged in 16 seconds. But the big reasoning as to why I wasn't really high on Chidi in the past is I put too much emphasis on his losses in Bellator, right? Losing to guys like John Salter, Andre Koreshkov, and Rafael Carvalho are really not that bad, right? You're talking about big, strong grapplers, solid grapplers who are able to stifle him up against the cage. But since that fight, we've been seeing very solid work from Chidi in terms of rectifying those issues. His defensive uh, wrestling off the cage is much better now. He really makes his opponents work. And even when he gets taken down, this guy is like a cat right back to his feet. And he's able to you know, really make his opponents work to try to establish those, uh, those grindy positions which is why my love for him has started to grow some more because we see once he's able to get back out into open space, get back to his handiwork of his Muay Thai and his kickboxing, he's very difficult to deal with for a lot of people. And I think his speed and his length advantage here against Gregory Rodriguez is going to come into play. I think we'll see him land those big shots from the outside. I think we'll see him be defensively sound. And he might give up some valuable minutes fighting off the cage, but that's going to cause Gregory Rodriguez to start huffing and puffing, start using too much energy, trying to control Chitty, uh, and that will ultimately be his downfall as Chidi will be quick to that trigger, quick to the target, be able to land on Gregory, uh, you know, the longer that this fight goes. And I think eventually he'll be able to put Gregory Rodriguez down. So Rodriguez, solid fighter, but I think his speed disadvantage as well as the reach disadvantage he's going to be at here, he's going to be whiffing at air quite a lot. And he's going to be working a little bit too hard trying to get Chidi and Jaquan into the ground. That will eventually make him slow down. And I think that's where Chidi starts to take over and finds that chin puts him out, knocks him out. I'm going Chidi and Jaquani. I don't have a bet on this as of yet. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to pull the trigger myself, but plus 200 for Anjaquani by knockout, you could be getting much worse if we're being honest. Let's not forget. You know what I mean? I, I get it. Sometimes, some days chins show up, sometimes they don't. But that uh, Jordan Williams knockout loss on Gregory Rodriguez's, Rodriguez's record is still a little bit too flaky for me personally. Uh, Michael is saying the Hobocop movie series ends here. And Jaquani right there with you as well. Corey Ipo saying, uh, uh, Rodriguez is a lock. She's going to get KO'd. Wow. Didn't expect that one there. Robert Chicken Wing saying, Jake, it's an interesting. Oh, okay. We got it. Uh, Frank's saying, absolutely love Hobocop's BJJ, but she scares me. I don't know. I think she could make it difficult for him to establish that. Corey saying, I see a bad weekend and coming for Locke and Cody. Oh, no. So it's either a bad weekend for you or a bad weekend for us. We shall see next week, my friend. Anthony W. saying, Rodriguez or Rodriguez got knocked out in the apex already. It's going to happen again with an even better opponent in Chidi. I hope so, at least from a predictions perspective. All right, that is a wrap on the co-main event. Before we get to the main event, shout out to all the viewers that we currently have in the live chat hanging with us on this Thursday night. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below. If you haven't already, I've been you know, snailing my way to 6,000 subscribers for the last couple months. You know, with the pickup in activity and the pickup on the, the content that I've been doing on the channel, we're closing that gap. But I, I should already be at 6,000 subscribers already, guys. We are just about 100 subscribers short of that. If we can make that happen, please do help your boy out. Just hit that subscribe and also hit that like as well if you haven't already. All right. Let us get into this main event. I am very excited about this fight. Probably the one that I'm most excited about the entire card. We got Corey Sanhagen coming in as a minus 190 favorite going up against Song Yudong at plus 160. 
Now, this is a fight where styles make fights. This is a fight where, stylistically speaking, that's how you should be breaking down this fight, right? I do remember the question earlier from, I can't recall who it was that asked it, but they said, what is Sanhagen's best win? And is it better than Song Yudong's best win, which is Chito Vera? I don't like capping fights like that. To me, it comes down to how do these guys match up going against each other? Like people like throwing that fodder out there of saying, oh, you know, um, uh, they have way better wins or better level of competition that they've gone up against. Sure, it should be, it's points in your favor, but at the end of the day, that should only make up like 15 to 20% of the reasoning behind why you're betting a certain spot. It should, 80% of the time, it should come down to what you see inside the cage from both of these guys and how they deal with guys who fight similarly to their upcoming opponent. So for this one specifically, like for Song Yudong, the closest guys, again, it's not like a dead-on comparison, but the closest guys that we can compare Corey Sandhagen to that Song Yudong has already faced is guys like Marlon Vera and guys like uh, Kyler Phillips, guys that play well from the outside and then they can close a distance when they need to, get their shots off and then get back out before they're able to eat those big shots from Song Yudong. Because the majority of Song's success comes from being able to exchange in that pocket, comes from being able to throw two, three, four punch combinations, all winging hooks, all big power shots when you're standing in the pocket with him. But Corey's not going to be there, right? What we've learned from Cody is that he traverses the cage very well. He uses his footwork. He uses his, you know, in and out uh, nature very well that it makes it very hard for opponents to get that beat on him. I think it would serve Song Yudong well to chop away at the wheels here of Corey Sandhagen early. But that's not something that we see on the regular from Song Yudong. So we can't go out there and 100% say, okay, that's how he wins this fight. But that's how he's going to win this fight. If he goes out there and does it, all props to him. But historically speaking, that is not what we normally see from him. Uh, Corey Sandhagen, in my opinion, will be a master of distance in this fight. I think you'll be able to make Song Yudong whiff at air a lot and there's nothing more tiring than whiffing at air more often than not. Especially when you're fighting a guy like Corey Sanhagen who, he pushes you, right? He pushes a pace. He pushes pressure. He makes you work because he know that knows more often than not he's going to have a better gas tank than you. And that's the case here. You know, I have question marks about Song Yudong's five-round cardio capabilities. Sure, he's probably conditioned himself as best as he can, but it's one thing to do that in training camp. It's another thing to do it in live action against a guy who can go a solid five rounds if he needs to. So I'm hoping that Corey has learned from his mistakes in the TJ Dillashaw fight, right? We saw him giving up his back a little bit too much. That's where TJ was able to get some valuable minutes of control time, get some good success from there. I'm hoping he, hoping he learned from the Piotr Jan fight, but then again, are we comparing Song Yudong to Piotr Jan? Sure, they throw with a lot of big heat, but like Piotr Jan, much more diverse striking skill set than what Song brings to the table. Song's still a little bit young, in my opinion, right? I do think he still needs a little bit more seasoning. This might be a little bit too early for him to fight a guy like Corey Sanhagen, who's a tough cookie to crack, a tough puzzle to solve. But I am seeing that Song Yudong love out there, right? So I'm waiting to this line on Sanhagen starts to come down because I feel like we can get better than minus 190. I think that this is a great fight for Sanhagen to take advantage of the stylistic matchup that he has here. And uh, the other big narrative that's been going on this week is the um, is the fact that Ryan Hall has been working very closely with Sanhagen during this uh, training camp. 
listening to his interview that he did on the MMA Hour, Corey Sanhagen, that is, uh, he talked about working with uh, uh, Ryan Hall, you know, for a week every now and then over the last couple of years. But this training camp, he spent a solid two to three weeks, I think even four weeks out there preparing for this matchup. So I'm interested to see what kind of BJJ wrinkles he's stirred up and if he can take advantage of that the later that this fight goes. Because he he could land a takedown here against Song, right? He could get his jujitsu going. He could hop on the back of Song Yedong at a certain point and you know backpack him and look to take home a neck with him as well. So I think there are more ways for Sanhagen to win this fight. Obviously, it's tough when you have to try to evade the big power of Song Yedong for 25 minutes, although I think they will mainly be effective for about 15 minutes or so. After that third round mark, I think that we'll see Sanhagen slowly start to take over and really start to make this this type, uh, his type of fight. So the pick is Sanhagen. I think we'll see him do solid work from the outside, really start to open up the later that this fight goes. I think he takes home a decision victory, although if you have access to FanDuel and can bet the round four or five decision for Sanhagen, I think that's currently sitting around minus 115. I think that's a damn good spot to target in this fight as well. So I'm going to go Corey. I'm going to go Corey by decision. Um, and I think that this is uh, what we'll see this being the start of him uh, or sorry, of his resurgence and getting back to uh, potentially getting a title shot in the very near future. The Song Yudong will definitely fight for a title in the future. I think it's just a little bit too early for him to be fighting a puzzle like uh, Corey Sandhagen. Uh, Jono saying there's 55 of you in here. Give the homie a like. Yes. What are we at right now? Let me let me just audit you guys real quick and see what we're talking about. 33 likes. 60 live watcher right now. Ah. Come on. I see 36 now. Y'all are, are pumping it up. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> you guys don't think it means a lot, but I, I promise you it does. It really does. Corey's saying there's no hope for my dong in this one. Sandy's too much. There you go. African saying Song has enough athleticism to cut off the cage against Corey, but he chases way too much. Corey's going to dance all over him unless he gets clobbered in a massive explosion from Song. That is always live. That is always, always live, especially with somebody who hits as hard as Song. But with his limited path to to, to victories and path to, to, to actually winning, it's hard for me to justify a play on him. Oh, African saying, but after tape, minus 200 for Corey looks like a very nice line. Four or five might be, get might get played for me personally as well. Uh, Robot Chicken Wing saying, you deserve a million subs. Great content. I appreciate it, my friend. One day we'll get there. One day. Sean V finally showed up. Finally showed up. Matter of saying, Corey's getting the finish here, I think. It's absolutely possible. Anthony W. saying, ungrateful bastards. That is true. Daz Fowler saying, I subbed and always like. Let's go. Appreciate the love, my friend, as always. Matt R. saying, I can't like more than once, unfortunately. You can create multiple. No, I'm playing. <laughs> I appreciate the one like is more than enough. Sean V. saying, Locke, you said Rosa would get styled on. Me and Lou Betcha were on the right side of Rosa. Good for you, my friend. I did not bet Hakeem Duwadu myself. I don't know if I went as far as saying he got he's going to style on Julian Rosa. But, uh, yeah, I didn't bet him at minus 200. Good for you guys. Betting the char or sorry, betting the underdog and cashing on it. Sharp play. Hats off to you, folks. Matt are saying he also said Rosa was a live dog. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Joshua Frick saying, never like to see Yadon go down, but it's going to happen. 
that is true. Double entendre there, maybe. Lit 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 saying uh, Hobo Cop averaging two and a half, two point four takedowns a fight of Chittikin stuff. I can see him slowing down for sure. Yes. Statistics don't always tell the whole story about MMA fighters, though. Let's remember that. All right. That's a wrap on the breakdowns. I'm surprised that we managed to keep it under uh uh an hour and a half. One more question here is from uh, Sean V saying those were your exact words, though on DFS by the numbers stream. Was it? I don't recall that. But again, I didn't bet it came to Wadu. So a little bit of consolation there. Again, hey, props to you. Good shit. Cash on Julian Rosa. I'll respect that. Come give me some props sometimes, though, dude. <laughs> the only time you ever show up is to shit on your boy. We had this discussion already. I can't remember which fight it was, but you never came back and gave my props. But I love you regardless. African saying, cheers for the stream and the chat, man. Preet, let's make some money. Fucking money, baby. Have a good one. Time for bed. Appreciate it. Pamper puppy in the chat and thanks. Anthony W saying, Mamper, you're supposed to be 100% or be right 100% of the time. Exactly. Sean V saying, LOL, I know I'm just messing for sure. All good. Appreciate everybody that checked out the stream. As always, hit that like and subscribe below. Again, I'll be back tomorrow, 2.30 p.m. Eastern for the Ultimate Way Show with my guy Sharksta DFS. First time he's going to be on the show. Very much looking forward to breaking down the fights with him. That will be my last stream for that day. Uh, and then on fight day, I'll be doing a fight day live stream. I got a very, um, uh, I got a very long day on Saturday. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to fit in that, uh, that podcast. Uh, but I will be doing the fight day live chat. So make sure you guys look out for it. But tomorrow is the next one, 2.30 PM Eastern right here, right on this channel. Ultimate Wayne show. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Time for me to go do some tape index work and some other work. Cause the work never stops for you, boy. Love you guys. Have a good night. Catch you tomorrow. Peace.